Hey folks, it's Jeremy, the writer and creator of Two Flat Earthers Kidnap a Freemason. Today on the feed we're sharing the pilot episode of Wireland Ranch. Wireland Ranch is the color-soaked psychedelic cosmic nightmare you've been waiting for. I am obsessed with this show. The writing is sharp and unflinching, the sound design and scoring are both hard to describe in the best way possible. Everything seeps into everything else to create an unparalleled level of audio weirdness. Check out the first episode of Wireland Ranch now, and after listening, be sure to subscribe on their main feed where more episodes will be ready and waiting for you. Welcome to Wireland Ranch, where every tragedy is a ritual and every sacrifice is a joke. She hesitates as though nice is not the proper descriptor for the complex palette of emotions this moment has conjured. Interesting to see you again. The overseer opens his eyes, the lids heavy, weighed down by a dogged stubborn sleep still trying to drag him back into the beckoning arms of a slumber from which he'd just awoken. He finds he feels more revived than he does awake as though the act of opening his eyes had done more than process light into images in his visual cortex, but also, maybe, and this thought arrived with a shudder, maybe saved his life. Do you know where you are? He did not, and as his eyes adjusted to his surroundings, he began to question if he even wanted to know. Some things are, after all, unknowable, and this room he finds himself in seems to fit snugly into that category. But you and I, friends, the limits of knowing do not extend to us as we are the witnesses, and by the end, we will all have a slightly different story to tell. Before we know this room, though, this room on the dividing line of everything and a nothing so complete the word nothing doesn't even begin to define it, we must know the arrival. The chimes seemed different on the last delivery he made. The bright focus group approved Pavlovian dinging that ushered slave wage delivery terms onto his screen was muted and slow, seemed deeper, darker, and somehow, as he considered the memory, more than a little unwelcoming. He'd been making waste of time low-rent deliveries all day at that point, $2 here and 3 there, an average all-day delivery shift in a perpetually collapsing economy veering dangerously toward what some might consider the end while others, like our driver here, would consider an improvement. As the sun sets over his anywhere town USA in a wash of pastels, night began seeping into the sky like ink blots on a Rorschach test, appearing to our driver as butterflies or genocides depending on his mood and the traffic and, well, both changed minute to minute. He released the steering wheel and reached for the device ringing in the passenger seat of his gunmetal gray hatchback and made a sort of duck-lipped kissy face at the camera to unlock the screen. 
His mouth immediately fell open and his blue eyes sparkled a hint of green because in place of the usual $2.50 and four miles was 26 miles and $175 and holy shit, he might finally be able to call it a day. Now a few different thoughts crowded our driver's mind when he saw this and for a moment everything became overwhelming and the world pushed against the edges of his vision and compressed everything in on him toward him in a threatening way as though the world and everything in it was going to force itself into his eyeballs and down his throat and the brake lights ahead of him were fast approaching and he took a deep breath in and out this must be a fucking glitch or what if it fails to accept because the nearest tower got struck by lightning or hackers or ransomwarein AT&T's bitch ass finally or Amen. it's going to go to some other driver and I'm going to get stuck delivering Popeyes to some asshole with a Tesla in their driveway for a 38 cent tip or the next one is a fifth floor no elevator for sure. He slammed on his brakes and the car slid toward the curb, his fender a quarter inch from grazing the bumper of the car ahead and for a second. He wondered how a man with Confederate flag and Second Amendment stickers on a wood-paneled station wagon might react in a wreck-type situation, and, well, he probably dodged a bullet there. The car stopped, rocking on its axles for a second. Time evened back out, and the world settled back to where it belonged as in anywhere but on him, and he pressed the flashing red accept at the bottom of the screen. The man in the station wagon stared at him in the rearview mirror. Violence flashed in his eyes for a moment, the kind of violence only an insurrection or civil war can tame. And just as quickly as it appeared, it was gone, and the wagon lurched forward, none worse for the wear. Our driver waved at the man with an apologetic gesture and looked back down at the screen. Fortunately for our driver, though in hindsight decidedly unfortunate, the order assigned correctly. Then and there, he should have known something was amiss. Things too good to be true always are, and that's a fact he knew then just as well as he knows now, but money got the better of him as money does to us all. So he pulled a quick and very illegal U-turn and headed toward the merchant in the square downtown. He sped through the streets going 70 and a 45 as he always did, slipping in and out of lanes in front of slower cars and behind faster ones for ticket cover. He drove as most delivery drivers do, in a manner that was both antagonistic to public safety and necessary to make enough money to live another day and do the same thing all over again. And hey, this would, after all, he thought, as he zipped down the road, be the first and probably only time he was going to make $175 an hour, and he was going to treat it as such. Normally, this meant sitting on a Zoom call with other corporate lawyers discussing the cost-benefit of either ignoring that pesky business of sometimes the gas tank just fucking explodes on the new or doing a recall. Not in terms of human lives, mind you, but settlements and tax write-offs, and not as our driver is now, driving 65 through a school zone to get to the curiosity shop across town. But our driver, he'll take it where he can get it. Hold on, a curiosity shop. He took a closer look at his phone as the car slowed for a sharp turn. In all his 1,500 some odd deliveries, he had never once been sent to a curiosity shop. Nor did our driver even know one existed in this town, but there it was, sure as life is long, in geometric grotesque TT norms, Reynolds Limited Curiosities. 
The 175 began to make a tad more sense at that point. Considering his terribly bad no good luck, he was likely about to haul some cursed antique mandolin way out into the dead farm wasteland of the rural south, nodding behind the wheel while it plays a haunted melody. Or, seeing as only old people would be interested in whatever curiosities are, he'd have to carry something into an old's house, maybe have to shake their old hand and smell the faint scent of a life dissipating into the ether. Either way, whatever he was in for was not going to be pleasant or quick, and he had a sense for when an order needed to be dropped because the money wasn't going to equal the hassle and this one ticked all the boxes. And as he pulled into the parking lot, that regret sharpened. The building was dingy, the bricks dirty, the mortar stained and flecked with brown and red like the walls of a slaughterhouse. A uh, squared off relic of the old days that looked sort of, well, drugged down. As though the building once sprouted from the clay earth below and was now returning to its original state. The windows were filthy and streaked with a white film of unknown origin. And through that film, the fluorescent light strobed and stalled going bright to dim to dark every couple of seconds, and had he been inside, he would have noticed the buzzing bug murder zap noise that accompanied each phase of fluorescence, creating a smothering atmosphere that would have made his jaw clench tight and his hair stand on end. But the sign, friends, the sign was immaculate, and the only part of the establishment that lent any credence to this place being an owned and operated business. RLC sat atop what appeared to be a slogan where lost objects go to be found. The words cast in lowercase black letter that gleam luminescent gold shot through with clean lines of green, giving off a real St. Patrick's Day at the Goth Club vibe. The more he stared at the place, the less he wanted to go inside. He had that strange foreboding feeling he only got when he smoked too much weed after he'd made a decision he felt guilty about and then the act of smoking made him feel more guilty because he should be doing something with his goddamn life, not smoking and being so guilty and pitiful about being both pitiful and guilty. A looped feeling, reminiscent of that. The haunted mandolins and guilt be damned, he thought as he clicked arrived at the store in the app, flicked his cigarette out the cracked window left the ignition on, and stepped out of the car. The pickup instructions listed on the screen stated, come inside store and ask for order at reception. If store is empty, wait. We will appear. If you're the impatient sort, come to the back room. This is inadvisable and may lead to stress and night terrors, but it will garner you the attention you seek. He stopped once again and considered cancellation, but after a moment and a deep breath or two, he shrugged to himself and pushed the heavy wood panel door and, of course, friends, we all know it was locked. But below the lock, a small handwritten sign announced, if the door is locked, ring the bell, and had an arrow originating from a spiral pointing toward a tiny red plastic button that seemed to be glued to the brick next to the brass door handle. And well... What else was he going to do besides press it and ignore the fact that it looked like a toggle switch you would buy at Home Depot and appeared to be connected to nothing? Just a weird toggle switch glued weirdly to a weird brick on a weird building. And as we all guessed, friends, nothing happened. The button didn't even depress. A frustrated sigh passed his lips, and as he was about to turn and head back to the car, he heard a loud, smooth... 
He stepped backward instinctually, tripped retrogressive like the country that he lived in as his heels hit a broken piece of sidewalk jutting from the ground. Then, looking around sheepishly, he brushed his hands on the corduroy jeans to play it off as best he could in the event he had been observed. He pushed the door harder than was necessary because he'd grossly misjudged the wake. And had he not been engulfed in the strange circumstances of this delivery, he would have thoroughly questioned why what appears to be a solid piece of oak weighed the same as cardboard left out in the morning dew. The door swung gracefully inward on rusted hinges at speeds the door had likely never experienced. And at this, the driver winced again because he just knew that liar of a door was about to crash into some expensive curiosity display case and break everything inside and this whole trip would be for naught more than an interesting story to tell his partner back at home over a cup of Kratom tea. Luckily, instead of all that, the door bounced back with a pronounced after striking the doorstep behind it and swung without a single creak or squeal despite the rust back and forth until finally slowing to a stop to reveal an L-shaped room full of dusty knickknacks, yellowing ceramic, and brittle antique wooden furniture. He crossed the threshold slowly and as he did a bell rang, presumably a way of letting whoever worked here know they had a visitor, but it must have been broken or altered because it rang so loudly. He swore he felt his eardrums vibrate and pulse with each pump of his quickening heart. He covered his ears, knuckles white and nails digging into the skin above his cheekbones and temple as his trepidation evolved into an overwhelming sense of fear and annoyance. He stepped backwards again outside and for a second he thought he had gone deaf because suddenly there was no sound at all. No bells, no cars, no sirens, not a single bird chirping or tree rustling. Silence immaculate. But the bell was still sounding in his head, and thinking about it, he swore he recognized the sound, though it seemed off, sharp, and discordant. He shook his head and looked around for anyone else on the streets or shadows on the windows of surrounding buildings, and strangely, he saw no one. Saturday evening in the town square was generally a bustling affair, insofar as a town this size can bustle full of bar patrons pretending not to be drunk while cops watch with their beady cop eyes concealed in wraparound sunglasses, leaning on bicycles and spandex shorts, looking for a stumble or hint of horseplay like predators seeking movement in a tangled jungle. And when they pounce, it is not with their teeth sinking into flesh, but rather handcuffs sinking into freedom, if you're lucky. But the streets were empty and silent, friends, not a soul in sight. He craned his head over the threshold, and once again the ring blared, fire engine loud, and his hairs prickled and stood on end as if responding to the stimuli, and then he pulled back and nothing. Complete silence. Back into the ring and back to the silence, and okay, friends, you get the picture. He pulled his head in and out, using the slight bit of what must be architectural anechoic fuckery as a novel distraction from his increasing anxiety. He did this for a few moments as the sound slowly faded, and finally he could hear the buzzing fluorescent lights blinking on the ceiling like Morse code, both inside and outside the door, and yeah, they were louder than they should have been, but that was barely noticeable compared to the alarm bell nightmare the preceding moments wrought. And this helped restore enough normalcy to the situation that our driver felt as comfortable as he was going to get with walking inside. So. 
He took a deep breath and stepped into the room. Under the yellowed fluorescence were several tables placed in a baffling fashion, set at harsh asymmetrical angles consistently narrowing the aisles between them as if to discourage browsing. They were full of dust-covered teapots, picture frames, and trinkets, cobwebs strung between them in sharply descending zip lines like some dust-punk arachnid adventure park. He ran his finger through the dust and rubbed it with his thumb, watching as it streaked black and fell away like ash. The walls were lined with books end-to-end, floor-to-ceiling, and the books themselves seemed to be the only thing free of this ashen dust. And that remained true until he saw what he assumed must be the reception desk. Centered, dead square in the crook of the L sat an ornate executive's desk, the likes of which he had never seen. The finish appeared as gray snakes swimming atop void black oil and was polished to the point of reflection. The jaundice light flickering above appeared transformed when it shone from the desk, as though it had been processed and purified, mirrored back dingy and cold. The wood had been carved, seamlessly as far as our driver could tell, into a sphinx. Starting with the plastic serpent suspended between two kneeling lion legs, paws settled into divots on the laminate floor. The stomach above was gaunt and stuck to the ribs, bones showing through matted and bloody fur. The chest curved upward but still dipped down in a submissive pose, as though the thing were being scolded. Human breasts hung down, nipples wrapped by the lips of suckling pig heads attached to the bodies of gluttonous babies. The front arms bent outward behind the creatures, awkwardly cradling them, palms outstretched before her supporting the weight of it all. The human head had its face buried in what looked like a bowl of dog food, splashes of wood-carved slop frozen in the hair and dripping off the ears. Splayed above the entire figure were the eagle wings, low and straight over the back of the head and ending in sharp knives of feathers past the impotent tail. The wings acted as the base for the slab top behind which no one sat. No receptionist to receive. He pulled his phone from his pocket and brought the app up on the screen to go back over the pickup instructions because, after all this, his head was foggy and unfocused. But he clearly remembered the, um... Uh, yeah, there it is. That bit about the night terrors. Very weird. Suddenly... His phone screen went black and then flashed white noise. A phantom blue phone icon began strobing on the screen. Each time it burst onto the screen, and burst is the correct word here, it was accompanied by the fuzzy drone of a dead radio broadcast. He stared at it for a few moments, fear building with each blink before tapping the icon and shakily whispering, Um, hello? Hi. The voice seemed to come from both the speaker on his phone and each corner of the room, enveloping him from all sides. We want to thank you sincerely, from the bottom of our infinite heart, for visiting Reynolds' limited curiosities. With each syllable the voice spoke, his mind lightened. Mundane, minute-to-minute thoughts dissipated into wispy memories. Where your curiosity transforms into knowledge. He had begun to sweat and breathed a little more heavily. The yellowed fluorescence took on new characteristics, gaining cohorts from the spectrum, and now, when the bulbs performed their dim, boring dance of slow fade and flicker, 
a rainbow would slink from one end to the other like technicolor snakes swirling through the tubes. We are so very glad to have you and absolutely ecstatic you chose to avoid the night terrors. They can be quite the doozy if you are in to that sort of thing. Where are you? Our driver demanded. His voice clipped and harsh. Instinctively, he knew this is how he should sound at a moment like this. A moment that called for fear and confusion if a moment ever did, and if not those, then unease at the very least. But he felt none of the ways his tone implied. In fact, he felt, you know, just cool or whatever. His head jerked wildly around the room, muscles forcing the reaction as he scanned for the source of the everywhere voice. But his brain felt more and more like a balloon tied precariously to a frayed string. He was comforted by the fact that if he willed it, he could just drift away from this place and everything else for that matter. The relevant question is not where I am, but rather where you are going. And oh dear overseer, you will soon be at the intersection of all that is and all that is not. Off into the blank and motionless heart of reality, you will become its beat. The war drum that will keep it marching forward. He chose to ignore the voice because it did not seem to be interested in or courteous enough to try making any sort of sense, and he didn't know where this buzz he felt was coming from, but he could fucking dig it, and this lady and her nonsense was coming dangerously close to ruining it for him. And that is a particular type of sin our driver cannot abide. So, time to get the delivery and peace the fuck out, he decided. Your package is on the desk. He hesitated in his first step toward the desk, lifting his leg high as if the floor was a sponge and his candy flip was kicking in. Ecstasy and acid mixing to make the world and especially the floor both frightening and new. Fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be late, he muttered. We are sure wherever you are going, you will get there right on time. He took another clumsy step, now only a few away from the desk. He could finally see the box on the solid slab. Watch out for the majestic Sphinx, Overseer. She's been known to seek attention when she is in Which again, can be a real doozy if you aren't. He leapt backwards as the great green serpent lashed at him, hissing violently and lunging toward him with a type of violence our driver had never witnessed. Lay off, woman. You look like Crow Kill with a meth addiction. Ignore her overseer, she's just a dirty girl, that's all. But the Sphinx heard none of this. A fireball kicked forward, landing with a heavy thump that sounded more like leather than wood should be allowed. Bones showed through the black leg, stark white splitting the gray grain just above the paw. The leg lifted again, this time pushing hard off the floor, attempting to leverage its strength. Color began seeping from the bone swirling in all directions and extricating the black. Yet the colors were still wrong. In place of the blood-stained golden brown, the lion leg was bright lime. And the blood, where it appeared in splatters and swatches, was a deep purple, the color of a fresh bruise. The other leg stretched and clawed at the infant pig thing suckling her breast, slicing through the wooden skin, that part oozing from distended bellies. 
The last of their insides leak into a puddle on the laminate floor and slip into the cracks between the dingy white tiles, slowly and completely disappearing. She'll use you and leave you in the sand to die. I know her kind. The head raised from the dog bowl, the frozen slop now dripping from its cheeks. The look on the face that stared at him was an even mixture of murder and fear. The sphinx opened its mouth, highlighter colors swirling over its entire body save the wings, still black and immobile. Keeping the thing from breaking completely free of the desk, its pink teeth through thick white saliva which flung outward when it gnashed at him. Um, I'm gonna be late. Our driver repeated, the real horror of the experience washed out by whatever was happening to his brain. Last chance creature. The everywhere voice said angrily. Last chance before I set the worms free. The gnashing, clawing thing fought against its own growl rising from its lungs and inching through its throat, sounding a lot like a scolded dog who can't quite control the impulse to bark at a passing car. The claws, now done with their grisly infanticide, thrust out at our driver and he stepped backwards slightly despite already being out of reach of this thing. They tore the floor scratching and struggling as far out as they could reach, the growl reaching an apex and then... The bulbs burst on the ceiling, sending shards of glass and phosphor raining down in the dark. Our driver watched the writhing section technicolor worms fell from the fixtures, radiating rainbow glow and landing hard and heavy with wet smacking noises. Hisses filled the room. Mouths positioned at both ends of the worm showed jagged teeth and began spinning like saw blades. They leapt toward the creature, the mouths latching onto the fur and flesh and burrowed through the thing's skin as if it were an apple. The creature's face twisted in fear and pain. The growl turned to cries of agony as the worms drilled and disappeared into its decimated body. The holes they created, oozing with purple blood and dim, multi-hued light. The thing slunk mechanically to its original position. The cries faded. The black and gray wood finish washed over the unnatural shades that had overtaken it, and just as quickly as the creature came to life, it returned to stillness. I tried to warn you. That's the thing about myths. No sense of reality. The only difference now was the face. Instead of neck deep in the bowl for a meal of wooden slop, it stared at our driver, eyes fixated on his lips, curled in a menacing snarl, teeth still dripping with drool and filth, bared as if to say, the next time our paths cross, I will eat you. Our driver stared back at the Sphinx, afraid to approach the desk, though that was the only thing he could think of doing. His sense of urgency and stress was creeping through the fog that filled his brain and made him feel so good, so goddamned okay for a few fleeting moments. As it began rising in him and processing everything that had just happened, he noticed that the Sphinx was not yet completely still. The wood around its torso and legs bubbled and undulated, tubes slinking and sliding toward the tail. The skin stretched around the worms as they slithered along the spine, their light dampened but showing through the jagged wood grain. One by one, they slid through the serpent and out of its dead mouth. They congregated in a circle under the serpent and once the last of them plopped from the mouth, now stretched like an old sock, they swirled together, spinning around one another faster and faster and started to meld into one 
color combining into color combining into the brightest white light our driver had ever seen. The light extended, forming the shape of a long, unfurled snake and then swirled about itself into a tight spiral, blinking and dimming slightly. It spun above him toward the ceiling and with each turn it formed a new limb. Arms, legs, head, hair flowed and wrapped itself into several separate dreadlocked ponytails. The individual strands whipped out and split into separate colors, forming several discs that were orbiting the newly formed head. Each one of the worms that protected our driver from a vicious death at the hands of a war-torn sphinx. The fully formed figure drifted slowly down from the ceiling and landed gently next to the desk. The light had dimmed, but not yet enough to make out individual features. It appeared to nod and take a slight bow. Your delivery is on the desk. Run along now. Would it want you to be too late? He watched in awe as the form turned with a flick and drifted toward the door to the back room, as though it was nothing more than a fall leaf in a high wind, stopping at the door as quick and graceful as it had gone. Built-in bookshelves surrounded the door, but in place of the books that covered every other wall in this bananas-ass shop were a series of old-fashioned mason jars. The jars themselves were dusty, but Friends, our keen eyes can confirm that each was canned with care and precision. Fine lace and expensive bows were laid intricately to form complex designs on the lids. And if our driver had to give those designs a name, he would likely choose the word sigil, as this is what jumped to mind most readily when he saw them. The most interesting thing about the jars, and this was true of most jars, he supposed, were not the lids, but rather the contents. Inside was a viscous pink fluid, reminiscent of liquefied flesh, enveloping a crystalline bubble that can be seen clearly from all sides, and inside the sphere is an orchid, rooted to the base of the jar. In the first jar, beginning at the stem, the petals are cyanide blue, fading into darker and darker hues until ending in a solid black. A small, bright flame burns in the labellum, mirroring the cyan, flickering just above the blackest part of the petals. And the same is true for each preceding jar, with the only difference being the shade and base of the flame. Finally, each jar had a label written in beautiful red script that swooped and curled meticulously like threaded needles. Some were old and faded so thoroughly that our driver could not read them, but the last appeared fresh and clear, stating, Number 0665, August 2021. The one before contained a descending number and a date 50 years prior, and the trend continued, descending number August 50 years. There were hundreds of these jars, and if the pattern did not deviate, and mind you, he was surely no mathematician, but these dates had to stretch back tens of thousands of years, but that couldn't be right. That couldn't be right at all. The glowing figure shrugged when our driver looked at it for an explanation, shrugged and opened the ash gray door behind it. Curious, ain't it? Don't look at us. We just work here. Through the cracked door, our driver could hear high-pitched screams and low-frequency bellows, a deep droning hum. Red light flashed sporadic onto the adjacent wall from the opening. The form bent itself and dissipated from the room. The door slammed behind it, 
And there our driver was, alone, in a silent space, glass crunching under his shoes and phosphor still settling over the ash. Staring at thousands of years of burning orchids and ten minutes outside of a mythic desk-creature confrontation, his phone dinged incessantly, though he just now noticed it, and when he unlocked the screen with his kissy face, thinking the whole ritual far more absurd than mere minutes earlier, multiple notifications slid down the screen, all saying the same thing. It seems like you're having trouble with this delivery. Let us know how we can help. He cleared the notifications and clicked Confirm Pickup. He used the light from the screen to locate the small box on the desk. He grabbed it and ran through the door and into his car as quickly as possible. He plugged his phone in and when it vibrated to signal successful connection, the vibrations did not stop. A long, low rumble shook the swampy summer night. In his rearview mirror, he saw the rush of a dust cloud headed toward the car and within a second, engulfed it completely, blotting out the world around him and for a fleeting moment, created a universe all his own. When the dust settled and our driver could see fragments of the road in his headlight beams, he pressed the directions button in the app and a map popped onto the screen showing the first step of a 22 mile long journey. He put his car in reverse and the rear camera feed popped onto the dashboard screen. He suddenly realized that both his mind and the world around him had fundamentally changed and might never be the same again. Reynolds' curiosities was gone. Here we go. Now on loan from the great deep soul of humanity we have at Angleton's Orchids in their rendition of The House of the Rising Sun.
not to do what I have done. Spend your life in sin and misery. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Are you there? I think I'm getting something. Why are you recording? For science. Did you hear that? We're a little off schedule. Maybe it's the aliens. I'm studying electromagnetic phenomena and anomalies. I don't think losing people is scary, I just don't want to do it anymore. Just together with me. Radio check, who's this? I didn't do it! You never do anything! We should still be secure. Are you safe? The walkies again. Who are you? Comfort. I am not doing it on purpose. You can't bullshit! I am not doing it on purpose! Stop. Stop! Oh god. I don't like this. I don't like this. What the hell was that? I'm not supposed to know that. We're supposed to be innocent. I feel an ending coming. Oracle, a sci-fi anthology podcast set in the not-so-distant future. Season 2, Transmission, available in bi-monthly episode releases starting July 1st, 2023. Or listen now to Season 1, Iris, wherever you get your podcasts.